Thank you, guys. Welcome. Happy Thanksgiving. Not eating turkey, right? So we are um, kind of doing this. Well, not kind of. We are doing this series and just things that we have learned as a church and God has done in our church over the years. So we're going to continue on with that. And actually, last week. Uh, on the first slide, uh, and in the discussion time, I brought this quote up it's by Brendan, Brendan Manning from his book, The Ragamuffin Gospel. Um, and it goes like this. I'll, I'll read it here. I read it yesterday, but it's right there for all to see. Though it is true that the church must always dissociate itself from sin, it can never have any excuse for keeping any sinners at a distance. Now, as I read that, I thought, I can see and understand how for some, they may have trouble and even disagree with the first part. And then I can also see how for others, they may have trouble and disagree with the second part. Let me just say, this is a quote. This is not a Bible verse. So <laughs> this is some guy's opinion of something. And, and of course, you'd have to read the whole book to even begin to understand it. So what I would say is, having read the whole book, in context, I think what he's saying is this. If we allow sin and evil to go unchecked, whether it's in our lives or in the church, it can do tremendous damage. It has, sin has the potential to do significant damage in people's lives. And we all know that because we've seen it in us, in me, and we've seen it in church numerous times. We've all experienced that. And I think he's saying we must guard and protect the church and people from the danger of sin, yet at the same time, love and welcome people who all people are sinners. And so it's just what we need to do. And then on the next part here, which some might have struggled with, let me say that in not, there's no excuse to keep any sinners at a distance. He is not talking here about dangerous people, bullies, predators, people who have uh, what are they called? Restraining orders upon them, okay? Just, we're not going to go there. That's a whole different topic. Um, it's just talking about regular people. Maybe aren't living their life the way Jesus would want them to. And, and sometimes a question comes up, well, what about church discipline? You know, the Bible talks about that. And it's true there are times when there are people who are causing damage in a community, in a church, because of sin. And, and we have to stop somebody from causing damage to other people without question. But the Bible is very clear that the way to do that is to restore that person. The goal and purpose of that is always to restore that person to the community in a way that is safe. Galatians 6, it's not up there, but he said, 
Paul says, if you, if someone is trapped, if you find someone is trapped in the sin in your community, you who've noticed it, you who are spiritual, go and restore that person to the community. And he says to do it with a spirit of gentleness and a spirit of humility, knowing that you were that person at one point who was trapped and probably will be again at another point in your life, and that at any time that can happen. And so we go to others knowing that we too have our failings and our flaws, and the purpose, just like we would want it to be with us, is restoration of relationships then that's the purpose we should go to with others. Jesus spoke about sin a lot. The Bible speaks about sin a lot. Now, some will complain that the church doesn't address sin anymore. Anyone ever heard that? I hear it all of the time, but maybe it's because of my job. Um, But we need to address sin. The question, though, is how do we speak about sin and yet at the same time welcome the sinner? And and I think a couple of things I would say, my opinion is first, we speak about our sin, not their sin. So when we speak about sin, we speak about our sin. Because Our sin and their sin are all sin. That's just it. And we just went through Romans not too long ago. In Romans, Paul uses the word sin more than 50 times. That is a lot. It was like 57 or 8. That is a lot in one letter. But what we talked about when we talked about Romans is that chapters 1 and chapters 2, what Paul starts the entire letter off is he's saying, look, your sin is no different than their sin. That's his whole purpose, is to show that your sin, certain Christians, is no different than these people's sins that you are judging. And that's really crystal clear in Paul's letter to the Romans. The second thing I think we need to think about is that sinners know they are sinners unless they are self-righteous sinners. People know they fail. People know they are flawed. They don't need us to tell them that unless they are self-righteous sinners. You know, Jesus... Well, we'll see this in a minute, but so I'll get ahead. He always corrected the self-righteous sinners. Those are the people he corrected the most. And the sinner sinners who knew they were sinners, he forgave for their sin. That's what he always does. He forgives those who know they are sinners for their sin. Those who don't think they are sinners, he corrected. 
And I, our, us, we should be no different than that. So I mentioned this parable, if we go to the next slide in Matthew 13, and so last week in the discussion time, but I am going to look at it and read it. So in, in Matthew 13, this is chapter on the parables of the kingdom in Matthew's gospel. In verse 24, it says, Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was asleep, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? So when he talks about the, and this is called in the parable of the wheat and the tares. So that, I guess that was what they used for the, what we might use the word weeds. When he talks about sowing in the field, Jesus is going to explain this parable later on in chapter 13. We're not going to go into it, but I will mention, Jesus says the field is the world. The field is the world. And then he talks about the enemy. He'll say the enemy is the evil one or the devil. And Jesus always mixes, you know, evil one, devil, evil one, devil. He just mixes those phrases at will. Now, scholars believe that these weeds or tares are, it's a certain kind of weed that grows up, and when it's grown, it looks just like wheat until it bears fruit. When it's only until the fruit appears that we know the difference, at least, and I don't know anything about agriculture and farms in Israel. I just read some books. And they may all be lying, but I, I, it sounds good. So we're going to go with it. But how much is that like church, Christianity, you know, those who really have faith and those who just say they have faith, they, they look the same a lot. They say the same things until there is a need for genuine fruit to come out of our lives. And that is where we recognize the difference. And we've all seen that. We've all seen people who claim faith and then all of a sudden we start noticing fruit that doesn't look like faith. This is a, and we've talked about this through Esther, an in the world, not of the world parable. That's what he is, Jesus is getting at. And so, the, the next slide, the parable goes on. They come to, hit, to the master in the parable, and they say, who did this? And the master says, an enemy did this, he replied. The servant asked him, do you want us to go and pull them up, meaning the weeds? No, he answered, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned. 
Then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. When we talked about Esther and we talked about this whole thing of being in the world and not of the world, the, one of the things we focused on is that we, we are not to, as Christians, isolate ourselves from the world. We are to be in the world, but we are not to conform to the world while we are in the world. We are to participate in every way in the world and its systems without conforming to that. Well, in this parable, Jesus gives us another thing about being in the world and not of the world, and that's this. He says, our job as followers of Jesus, is not to uproot evil in the world. It is not to remove evil from the world. Now, we are to overcome evil. We do that with good, the Bible says. We overcome evil by doing good. But there's a difference between overcoming evil and trying to remove it. Now, I'm going to step my toe into theological water here. And I'm only going to do it for a minute. And this may be like I've never heard of that. So if that's the case, that is okay. This I learned this, oh gosh, I don't know, 1980-ish. And, and actually, for 1,700 years, there's been a small but not insignificant segment of the Christian world that has believed this theology that the, the goal of the church, the job of Christians is to Christianize the world, meaning make the world and its systems Christian. That when I learned it, that was called dominion theology, and it has numerous other meanings now, other names now that people use for it. And it started back when, when um, Constantine baptized his army. <laughs> he Christianized the world. I, and, and let me say, good Christian people believe this. I just completely disagree with that. I, I do not think that is accurate. I do not think that's what God wants. I would say it is impossible to remove evil from the world without destroying the church. It is impossible for the church to remove evil from the world without destroying the church. And history tells us every time the church has tried, it has destroyed the church in one way or another. There is a huge difference between Christianizing the world and making disciples of all nations. Our purpose is to make disciples of all nations. And those disciples will live scattered like this good seed throughout the world in and amongst the weeds. And they will bear fruit in and amongst the weeds. And it will be that way until the day of judgment, until the day that Jesus returns. And then only Jesus, only God, can remove evil from this world. It's God's job. It is absolutely not the job of 
Christians. That doesn't mean we don't do good. We do. But the world, I believe the Bible is really clear that the God of this world is the devil. The Bible says that clearly. In this time, until Jesus returns and he puts an end to evil completely. So, as we talk about being in the world and not of the world, rather than isolation or Christianizing the world, Jesus has a better way. And we're going to look at that from a practical standpoint. And that is the way of grace and the way of friendship. And let's go to the next slide. And at this, the heading for this one, it doesn't have it on there because I have it on PowerPoint. It's um, Friend of Sinners. Here's the verse, first verse, Matthew 11, Matthew 11, verse 19. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunk, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, but wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. So the word friend here, when it calls you a friend of tax collectors and sinners, this is not a social media type friend. You know, where, you know, they like your thing. It's, oh, I got another friend. It's, a, it, it's speaking of intimate relationship, close, affectionate relationships. And the people who are calling them this, the, these are the religious leaders that we could call them the Bible people because they were devoted to the Bible, Torah. They're, call, they're insulting him. We think, oh, that's a really good thing. But this is a complete insult from them at Jesus. His, the way he related to these sinners, tax collectors and sinners, was shocking to the religious people of his day, to the devout people of his day. Now, as we look at this verse, what would this look like today? What would it look like for Bible people to call you a friend of sinners in a bad, insulting way? Think about that. Think about what, what would that look like? Now, here it's glutton, and I would just say for us today, I don't think when it comes to that one, I don't think there's any difference between Christians and the world. I, I think that one's just a no-goer. And then drunk Jesus wasn't a drunk, but the reason they called him this was because Jesus went to places where the alcohol flowed freely. He went to parties where the alcohol flowed freely. And so, you know, and, and to be honest, at least amongst a lot of the Christians I know, I don't think that's an issue either. You know, I mean, you know, to go to the sports bar and, and watch a game or whatever. Now, the, the issue here, I think, tax collectors for us, a totally different thing. You know, we don't hate the people down at the city who work in the tax department. They're just people. You know? It was really different. But what's going on here is that when it, when it says sinners, the Pharisees were speaking of specific kinds of sinners. And so what we need to do 
we need to ask ourselves, the self-righteous Bible people, we need to ask ourselves, who do the self-righteous Bible people despise the most today? And you fill in the blank. Whatever, we, we might fill in different blanks. And then be that person's close friend. Because that's what Jesus did. He was close. And, and, it, and, it, and, then, and then the next verse here, I think, it, yeah. It says, um, but the Pharisees and experts in the law were complaining, again, who's doing this. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. This is huge. Welcome here means to receive and accept them into your heart and into your inner circle. Wow. So those specific people that are despised the most today are to be received into our heart and into our inner circle. But what I have wondered and found is that it's, it's sometimes easy to welcome sinners from a distance. I think we're good at that, meaning that we do things for them. We volunteer at a homeless shelter. We, we, we do that kind of stuff. That's good. But this is talking about something more, much more than volunteering here, working at this, doing stuff for those people. It's talking about bringing them into your life. Back when Bob Bisop was uh, volunteering, he used to volunteer many years ago. He would come over pretty much every day for three or four hours. His job let him do that as part of his work. It was a great, great deal for the church. Uh, fixed everything in the church that whole that year. And we had, some, we had this one homeless guy who would come around. And Bob just invited him in and became his friend. And, and it was a year or two of this. And all of a sudden he was gone. We don't know what happened. But it was, yeah, we, we gave him food. We did this other stuff for him. But also we hung out with this guy. And, and I think there's so many situations where that's what God wants us to do. It's not just homeless people. The despised look like all kinds of different ways. There's just so many different ways that the spies can look. I think one thing that results of... Look, look, go to the next slide and let me read the verse there. Starting a thing with you here. Yeah, good. As Jesus was having a meal in Levi's home, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. I, I just love this. Many tax collectors and sinners were following Jesus. And, and we got to ask, does that happen today? Can we say that? I think it is happening. Maybe it's more an issue, is that happening like around my life? That's a bigger question to ask. I think trying, again, my opinion here, that 
Today, the church, in its efforts to try and uproot weeds, rather than befriend sinners, caused us to miss some significant kingdom opportunities. I think that's happened. I think we don't have many tax collectors and sinners, though and some people, some churches and people are doing this. It's not everybody. Maybe it's just the loudest ones. There may be entire groups of people who might follow Jesus if we welcome them into our hearts and into our inner circle, like Jesus did. Who? No one in his time would have thunk to say, oh, let's go be friends with tax collectors and sinners. Just the religious people that said, what? But that's what he did. And just huge amounts of people began following. So let me give a couple of examples of this. And I'm going to give you two. They may not relate to you at all. One may, one may not. And afterwards, we can talk about better ones. These are just two I came up with. Um, I have noticed over, so I've been, a, I've been a, a Christian for 50 years almost, a little less than that. And, you know, and, and over the year, over those years, starting in the late 70s and 80s, what I, what I have noticed is that, um, let me see, I got a little bit lost here, that, and maybe this has always gone on, but the church always has certain people it loves to hate. And, and hate maybe is a strong word, so maybe um, who... I don't know, are antagonistic against. But, and that changes. It's like goes through phases. <laughs> you know, it's this phase, it's that phase. There, while there, it was, you know, uh, people who dance or go to movies. Or, you, know, so, you know, and that's changed throughout time and throughout the years. But I think really what's happening is that, and, and I think it's, it's somewhat innocent, because what they're doing is they believe they are fighting against evil. I think they really believe, no, no, I'm fighting evil. But what they don't understand is their antagonism falls on people. Real human lives. They're the ones who experience the antagonism. Let me give one quick example. And this one really related to Cindy and I. And that is, and, and I've seen this phase in Christianity in this country over my 50 years, and that is anti-public, the anti-public school phase. And it seems to come and go. Now, let me say this. Homeschooling, Christian schooling, public schooling, that is completely all a matter of personal conviction and, and let God lead you and do as God has called you, and that is all fine. That's a personal conviction thing. And it's whatever God leads you is what you ought to do with that. And we should respect and honor that. The problem has been that 
I think sometimes, and I think it's happening some today, public schools have turned into the enemy. The enemy of God. And I think, my wife was a teacher in public school for years, retired. We were real involved. And I can say this, the church has missed significant kingdom opportunity. Significant kingdom opportunity in this country. It's not because you homeschooled that you missed it or Christian school. It's because we have this anti-public school mentality that goes out there in public and it hurts us from ministering to those who need ministered to. Here's another one. This is a stepping in the furnace or firing pan. <laughs> Immigration. So, we can all, everyone agrees, or most, that there needs to be some security of borders. It's important. And that legal immigration, it's important. However, there is massive disagreement in our country and amongst Christians and in this room. How? To do that. What you think, I can promise you, somebody else is on a completely different side in this room on how to do that. And the problem is, it has become one of those things of antagonism and something we love to hate. And there is only one thought for us as Christians to have, the, this is the important thought. Yeah, it's okay to think, here's how they should do immigration and all. That's all fine, and you can vote however you want based on that. That's all fine. But your thought ought to be this, and my thought. Immigration, whether legal or illegal, is an incredible opportunity for the gospel. An unbelievable opportunity for the gospel. And I heard someone say it just this week. They were talking about the church around the world and the great decline in church going and faith in this country. And they said these words, if it wasn't for immigration, they said it this way, immigration has saved the American church. Because that's where all of the growth is coming from in church. All of it. Everything else is declining. So it's not a, the government will do whatever it wants to do. And it's all going to depend on what side's in. <laughs> and it's going to be different. So what? You can have your opinion, vote for who you want, great. What we need to do is gospel. This is an opportunity for ministry. And many of you have done this. Many of you have done this. Have taken the opportunity for ministry with this. And I think we have, our church has been a good example 
So if we go to the next slide, this verse is kind of cool. It says, Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, the tax collectors and prostitutes. It's interesting that Matthew here, it's only, he, he doesn't just say sinners, he says prostitutes. Are, and look at this, are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. <laughs> and he's talking to the Bible people. The Pharisees, the, they, were, they knew their Bibles backwards and forwards. They would put us all to shame when it comes to the knowing of the Bible, the study and reading of the Bible. But Jesus says they are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. Now, that doesn't mean they're getting to heaven first. They're entering it now, and Jesus saying, in the world and we need to enter into the kingdom of God. And, and just a couple of things, a kingdom, what, and kingdom of God can be like, oh, what does that mean? You know, it's, we, we tend to think of going to heaven, but that's really not what it's about. I mean, it's just one small aspect of the kingdom of God or, or the kingdom of heaven. It's the same, same phrase, just based on language. To be a kingdom, there has to be a king. There is no kingdom without a king. And who's the king? Jesus. To be a kingdom, there has to be a land that the king reigns over. And where is the land that Jesus reigns over? Well, it's all over the world. Go back to the parable. But it's those people, those seeds that are scattered throughout the world, growing amongst the weeds. So to put it simply, the land is the church, not a place. Wherever the church resides, that is the land that the king reigns over. And then there needs to be subjects for there to be a kingdom. And the subjects are those who believe in Jesus. And those subjects are to live as aliens and strangers wherever they are. Whatever part of this world they live in, they are aliens and strangers. And then the next slide, under, verse underneath that. On hearing this, Jesus said to them, and is not this again with the Pharisees and scribes, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So we need to stop and think, who in our minds are the sick? Who are the sick? Those are the ones God wants us to befriend, to welcome into our lives, to welcome into our hearts, to welcome into our inner circle, not just even into our church. Because you can actually welcome people into a church service but keep them out of your heart, keep them out of your inner circle. 
keep them out of your life. Let's pray. Lord, thank you and help us. I, I know there sitting in this room are many good examples of this. I, that is so clear. I pray that you would help us to excel all the more. Lord, to know that you granted us a tremendous opportunity in this world. The darker the world gets, the greater the opportunity becomes. Let us step into the opportunity you've given us. In your name we pray. Amen.
Well, I have a confession to make. I forgot that I was doing the benediction today. <laughs> However, I did have something planned, but then after Mike's um, talk today, I decided that I was going to do something else. So, this is 1 Peter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Amen.